Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, I'm joined by Holly Silvers. Holly's a PT, PhD in Santa Monica, California. She's a member of the U.S. Soccer Medical Team and chair of the MLS Soccer Research Committee. We talk about her work on hamstring strains, why they're so common and often recurrent, and some of the things we may be missing when trying to prevent and rehab these injuries. Welcome to the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Reinold from MikeReinold.com. Hey, Holly, how's everything going? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Oh, I know. My pleasure. Um, And, I, you know, I've been saying this a lot on the podcast lately, but um, it's super selfish just because I want to talk to you, right? And I want to learn from you. So um, I, I love having guests on like yourself that are, you know, obviously brilliant. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the, that's that's the easy part. But the areas of your brilliance, I think, are just are just so cool. And you have a lot of neat things to share with people. So I'm really excited for this episode. Well, thank you. Very flattering. Likewise, feelings mutual. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. I, I think a, t- a ton of people see where you've been, your experiences. Like your bio is just cool, right? I think that's how I would like, like phrase your bio, right? You have some really cool opportunities, things that you got, um, uh, you get to work with. I think a sure. lot of people are jealous, right? And and they'd love to do that. And a lot of early career professionals want to to sure. to kind of hear a little bit about your career arc. So tell me about yeah. that. You spend time, sure. you know, obviously you, you you must love soccer. Um, but now you're working football, you're working in baseball, like all these things. Like yeah. tell tell us about your journey. Okay, great. Yeah, a, a little unorthodox too. I mean, and some of it serendipitous, maybe a splash of nepotism too, which I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> so I I grew, I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in uh, Cardi, New Jersey, which um, we have been dubbed Sucker Town, USA. We <laughs> we just had this incredible, uh, it, it was a really interesting place to grow up. I almost feel like I grew up in, in Europe in some ways because most of the kids I grew up, we were all first generation kids. My dad's from Ireland. My mother's from London. Um, we had the Portuguese and Spanish section. We had the Italian section. You had the Polish section and we all played soccer. Um, my U seven to U twelve coach played for Celtic. <laughs> oh my god! That's you know so that, cool. that was my yeah. So and we had no idea. We just didn't know. We thought that was normal. You know, right. everybody's <laughs> coach played professionally at U <laughs> seven. Um, but but and then um, interestingly, like we just you know when U S soccer was getting back on the map internationally in like the late eighties, like so in nineteen ninety, we had not qualified for a World Cup and. 52 years. So my uh, current brother-in-law was my sister's boyfriend at the time, was the goalkeeper for that team uh, leading up. And he was a, like a, a, it was basically a glorified NCAA standout team, which we, wow. the, we assembled and they qualified for Italy in 1990. And so um, this is kind of speaking to the culture of the town. When I told my high school principal at the time, like, I'm going to the World Cup. I need to 
to uh, take exams early. He's like, of course you are. <laughs> and there were like several of us doing that. My very good friend, Carolyn Mira, there were many of us doing it because they that was like revered. So my brother-in-law is Tony Miola, and full disclosure. And part of the reason <laughs> I got into the ACL world is because um, during a U.S.-Mexico match, we were kind of, they were playing in Azteca and uh, winning. And um, he just, he had a collision earlier on in the game, probably sustained a concussion. No judgment. Went back in the game <laughs> and uh, took a punt, a goal kick, and um, collapsed to the ground. And just, mm. we're all quizzically looking. And I was finishing graduate school at the time. I was in my last year of PT school. And I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, obviously kind of surmising what happened. And then he had surgery with uh, Dr. Burt Manabom, who was a team physician at the time. And um, I wound up going out to one of its follow-up visits with him and meeting Bert. And uh, Bert said, you know, well, I was literally graduating a month later. He's like, what are you interested in doing? I said, we need to prevent ACL injuries. I said it sort of flippantly. He's like, well, come over on Tuesday morning. We meet at 645 every Tuesday and let's just kind of discuss this. So I met with them for a couple of months and then we got an opportunity to apply for a grant to the LA 84 Foundation, which was founded after the 84 Olympics. There was a lot of money left over in a, in a good way. Mm, yeah. And we applied for this ACL prevention grant. And here I am 23 years later. <laughs> I so. know, right? It just <laughs> And, and, and it, it kept growing. I mean, you've done yeah. so much in the ACL prevention world. I mean, yeah. um, it's, 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 it's really impressive. So, um, Thank you. so what I love is that you love soccer, right? Yeah, and you're, I you're, do. you're, you're passionate about it and you got yeah. to pursue a job that gets to work in that realm. And right. I mean, that's the dream, right? Like yeah. you're, you're, you're passionate about it every day. You, you combine medicine and the sport that you love and, uh, you know, it, it's a home run. So congrats. That's right. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, similar to you, I feel blessed. There are a lot of people that go to work every day and sort of do it because they need to. I like fully love what I do. And I, I feel like my patients appreciate that, too, because they know I'm invested. I'm invested yeah. with them. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, it's it's the dream, right? What could be better? Like loving what yeah. you do the way that the way that we do. So I would encourage people. Like, of course, I had a little. Obviously, I had a brother in law that <laughs> made a couple of introductions for me. But I always <laughs> say the joke, and he's like, "Well, I'm glad tearing my ACL has made your career <laughs> lemonade <laughs> out of lemons." But but I yeah. say like it got me in the door. It doesn't keep you in the door. But you, I right. obviously um, have done some hard work, and and it's the work I enjoy doing. So my, my level of dedication is a hundred percent. Um, yeah. so I, I, but, but I wouldn't discourage anyone from trying to get in if you don't have a family relationship, but, um, <laughs> um like to, to your, to your earlier point, uh, how, uh, cause I get a lot of emails like this or like, Hey, how, how do I get in, like make a way in? And now with, with whether it's soccer or baseball or, or, or football, I always say start out the community level because I did that too. You know, I worked right. with like U12 teams and helped them for dynamic warmups and I, I volunteered. I, my first seven years at MLS, I was a volunteer. Mm. And so I, 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 I was fully giving up my time because it was something I loved. It was a passion project. So I didn't feel like work to me, but I know for some people that might be difficult, but, um, I would just say, even if the grassroots community level, a high school, like volunteering, helping, because most organizations are under-resourced. Um, I'm sure you can speak to that as well. So I think if you're willing to give your time, your energy, your expertise, 
Um, right. Without a lot of tentacles attached to that, I think a lot of people will be very, very receptive to that. Yeah. And, and I love when people combine their passions. So the sport yeah. they played and mm-hmm. then this newfound knowledge that they got with with medicine or performance or that type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I, mm-hmm. I almost feel like it's a duty of ours to give it back to the grassroots, to the kids and the parents and the coaches and to teach them the things that we've learned. So um, I couldn't agree more. And I'm going to give you a little more credit. Those sure. um, that, They didn't help you get through that door. They opened the door for you, yeah, but you're the sure, one that took you. those yeah. steps through it, you know, and yeah. And you got to think about that. Yes, it's it's nice to have doors open, but you have yeah. to have that that desire to take those steps through the door too. And not everybody does. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's it's been a journey of times, and I've had doors closed. I'll be honest with you that not, not everything has been a straight path, you know. So, but I think those obstacles always. I I'm reflective on those, and oftentimes those obstacles have uh, built more character and and have pushed me even harder than maybe I knew I had that sixth or seventh gear available to me. So, That's a great way of, yeah. of thinking about yeah. it. I love that. Yeah. Well, so yeah. T- tell me a little bit about a day in the life of Holly, right? Because sure. I, I feel okay. like you wear multiple hats mm-hmm. and obviously there's soccer, there's your consulting right. with football and baseball. Tell me a little right. bit about the day in the life of, of, of you. Sure. Because it varies a bit, but I have a, I, a full-time clinical practice. Like I see, yeah. like I do at least 30 hours of clinical work a week and I oh, wow. absolutely love it. I love it <laughs> in that um, my husband maybe doesn't love it all the time because I'm a little bit overtaxed, but uh, yeah. uh, but I, I'm honest to God, even when I was finishing my PhD at University of Delaware and Lynn Snyder-Mackler, who I adore, was my PhD advisor. And she said, um, you know, what are you doing this for? I said, to be better at, to be a better clinician. And I really didn't have any, um, grandiose concepts of like going into academic, in academia. That didn't really appeal to me. I like to teach, but more on the, um, sort of, uh, lecture circuit in terms of like, oh, let's do a course here and there. I don't think I would love to be a full-time academic. Um, but what also has been wonderful about getting a PhD as that it opened a few more doors because as we know in our world, letters tend to matter. I'll right. give you one quick little example of that. I was probably I was working with Dr. Mandelbaum for about 10 years and I was presenting at AOSSM. Um and this is a while back. And one of the orthopedic surgeons said to me, like, oh, you only have a master's? It's like, <laughs> oh well. I'm still kind of doing the work, you know, but, um, and it, 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 it just was a very sort of, I, was, I had this catharsis of like, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, from a letter perspective, I'm not in the cachet of folks that perhaps I would like to be. So, right. um, I had some conversations with Lynn and like, I was like, you knew out and then go back and do this. So I, I was practicing for 17 years before I went back and did a PhD. Oh, I didn't realize um, that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And wow, then yeah. had a baby in, in the interim too, which is, wow. um, you know, I don't recommend that, but, but, uh, <laughs> that, but, but, uh, but, but having said that, I, I really, I loved, like, I came in armed with so many ideas. And like at that point, I had been researching for a while and I just, I felt like, uh, in a lot of ways, um, I almost could advise myself in the sense, like, I had so many ideas and clinically, I was, the way I thought about my PhD, I am absolutely corroborating everything I've thought of for the last 17 years. It was That's like, so a, cool. I was, yeah. And it was, I was so grateful to go back because I think, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was doing, when I was in PT school, I was just like looking forward to the end so I could get out there and do our right. thing. 
Yeah. And this was so different because I was relishing on like, oh, education is wasted on the youth. <laughs> Which is like, uh, here I am, I was like almost approaching 40 and I'm like, this is amazing. Like I yeah. could not be happier doing this right now because this is just the the wonderful way of like, almost going back and doing sabbaticals. I think it's like a great right. idea for everybody. Obviously it doesn't fit into everyone's life path, but um, that was that was really great for me. But anyway, so like I do the clinical stuff. So each week's a little bit different based on what's going on. Like I had a research call all earlier today. I'm the research chair for major league soccer, which I love. And so depending on the week, like right now we're in a little bit of a lull. We had our annual meeting and then we haven't started preseason physicals yet, but we're also ramping up. I took an advisory role with the NFL last year or a year and a half ago basically trying to create ACL mitigation programs with the NFL. And that's been so fun because that's obviously a sport I did not play, but I respect and enjoy. And I always think like from a biomechanical perspective, like if you know biomechanics, you can, you can analyze anything. Right. So, um, but that's been really fun and really fun um, getting to know a whole new group of clinicians, but also, um, understanding their obstacles, right? Because we all have our unique uh, boundaries in place in terms of whether it's the league or legal or the players association and how that is so different. So that's been a fascinating like learning experience for me too, um, is how you navigate um, through different cultures and subsets of cultures within different sports within our country. And I, you could speak to that with baseball as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's diverse in that manner. Um, mm-hmm. It's neat, but I, I like that you're keeping with the football trend, right? Football, football, yeah. right? If it's, uh, you know, you know, I mean, you're keeping it there. Right. Football's life. But so um, right. I, 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 I like how you're keeping that trend. So um, I, I, I know we can talk ACL and I, yeah. I, I'd be excited to talk ACL, but I'm being super selfish here. Mm-hmm. And I want to continue some of the past conversations that you and I have had in person at dinner. Yeah. about yeah. hamstrings because yeah. I love hamstrings. And that's probably after ACL, that's probably your second thing, right? Uh, no, nah, I love hamstrings too. I have a equal <laughs> love for hamstrings. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's so nice for hamstring. Um, I, 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 I know you spend a lot of time in this and this, yeah. this is kind of funny. Holly and I were kind of laughing before we hit record on this podcast, mm. but this might be the shortest amount of questions that I've prepared for a podcast but they're big questions, right? So I'm going to hit you with some of these big juicy ones. So first right. one to, to me is like, I know you're spending a lot of time on hamstring trains. Like yeah. why, why are hamstring trains so common? And again, what an open-ended question. I'm just going to say that, right. but like, yeah. but what, why on earth? Because they're, I think not only are they common in so many different sports, yeah. they're, they seem to be getting worse. So, so why yeah. are they so common? What do you think? Yeah. Great question. And then honestly, if you, if you follow, I would recommend following Jan Ekstrand's work because he's one of the leaders from from a, from an American uh, from soccer, uh, you know, European football perspective. He does all the UEFA analysis of all the Champions League data, and the numbers not only are um, still high, they're going up, which is yeah. you know kind of eats at my core. Um, um, and I think part of it, part of my uh, thought process here is that. There's a category or subset of these hamstrings that are being um, perhaps wrongly identified and undertreated, right? Not looking at this in a macro way and l- treating it in a micro way. And we can kind of talk about that in a second because I've certainly seen athletes like that have fit in that category. I mean, and, and when you look at these regression analyses, you know, like, well, the risk factors are like, okay, prior injury and age. Well, that's sort of redundant because <laughs> right, if they're yeah. getting more exposure, well, sure. 
Um, so yeah. that doesn't tell us very much. Um, you know, you can look at the mechanisms, like the mechanism in baseball, I find so fascinating because it's, it's probably one of the cleanest in terms of the diversity of mechanisms as opposed to American football and soccer, because it's a lot of it's base driving, right? Going from right. home plate to first base and either on yeah. the reach or step out of the box. I think that's been um, really coolly illuminated in the last decade or so by a bunch of authors. But for, for soccer, it's our number one injury in Major League Soccer. It's our biggest time loss injury by far. And it continues to lead that charge since I've been involved with MLS. And that's over, you know, 18 years now, which is frustrating. So we've, we've tackled it from, I can speak to Major League Soccer. The way we've tackled this is like, okay, uh, building our stakeholders. So like incorporating all of our teams and saying, Hey, we recognize it's a problem. Um, do you recognize it as a problem? That's question one. Um, right. And secondly, like, what are you doing for it? So we can get a sense of like what's being done. Is that effective or not? And then lastly, how can we help you? And like, what can we do? And as you know, working in professional sports, so many people, so many teams and um, institutions are very reluctant to get involved in any type of cohort or RCT study. It's just not, you know, and for a lot of very good reasons. Um, so a lot of the data we've tried to pull, like, is from the NCAA and try to loosely extrapolate that to the pros, which isn't often a perfect fit because particularly in soccer, the volume is massively different. If you look at an NCAA schedule, which is basically a third, like going from August to yeah. if you're really successful into December, and then you have an incoming rookie. Because in MLS, it's interesting. A lot of our rookies are um, immensely vulnerable to injury, hamstring in particular. Um, it's because we basically tripled their load in one year. You know, yeah. they go to this full, we do preseason physicals in January. And if you're successful, this year being an outlier because of the the late World Cup, but the the season goes through December. I mean, it's yeah. wildly long. Um, not unlike baseball. So, um, I see. I think a lot of it is like we we are like um, Brian Hirschfeld in Wisconsin is doing some amazing work. Um, looking at. I don't know that we even know the facts, the variables that we need to be recognizing. Um, right. So there's a lot of work like on the regression side that needs to be done and is being done. Um, but I think with some of the athletes that I've seen that have had like recurrent, like on their fifth and sixth and seventh episodes, one of the things that I had noticed is that, wow, maybe the hamstrings on the deficit, it might be the glute. Like, and that right. was an interesting phenomenon that I found with a couple of very high level notable um, um, U.S. national team members and or MLS players. Um, and the same goes for gastroc too. We were kind of seeing that phenomenon. Like, are we, are we? And the other fascinating thing is when we were testing some of these players is that the strength parameters were looking good, optimal, normative. Uh, some of their movement patterns and uh, performance variables were looking normative. But then when I started doing EMG analyses on these people, we were seeing some deficits. And was this some sort of cortical element at play here? And like, were we not seeing that until there was a little bit of a fatigue element or, and I don't necessarily mean physiological fatigue, but could be some upper cortical fatigue there. So it is super complex. I think it's more complicated than ACL, honestly, yeah, in a lot right. of ways. Yeah. Because, um, um, and then the other element is like, okay, there are some things in place. You look at the efficacy of the Nordics and some of these eccentric hamstring type exercises, whether using Nordboard and uh, Russian um, stake, whatever variants you want to use. But then we look at this game of attrition where what is the adherence and compliance 
And that's right. what the extra and data has shown. Like these Champions League level teams, you're looking at a 12, 16% adherence rate. Whoa. So yeah, very low, you know, yeah. and those were that's surprising those were, to me. Yeah. Very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Very surprising. Well, no so wonder I why we can't figure it out, right? They're not doing anything. I mean, <laughs> is it is it that easy? I mean, or it's hard to say. Are yeah. we missing something if they're not compliant? Right. It's complicated. But I would say from the Champions League level data, like that was um, almost a little bit surprising on how low that is. And that was even partial adherence. So we yeah. have a paper coming out um, actually in MLB because we did a we did a really nice intervention study with an entire organization, which was kind of a unique opportunity. We don't typically have those. And we were able to inter- use an intervention with a lot of eccentric. It was it was multifactorial. And I think when we're designing project projects for pros, we're doing the same thing with the NFL right now. So instead of something like we would design typically for the youth, um, and this is some of the other programs I've been involved with, whether it was like the Pepper L11 Plus, which was interestingly effective for hamstring mitigation as well. Um, those are kind of uh, dynamic warmups designed because it's like packaged, right? We only have access to some of these kids three times a week. So dynamic warmup, you kind of prepare them for movement and, you know, hopefully we see the injury mitigation as a result. At the pros, it's very different because we have to kind of see this in. And um, I think oftentimes that's harder from an adherence compliance perspective because mm. it's not packaged in such a tidy way. Sure. So, and then you have to kind of really... Um, work collaboratively with strength and conditioning and on, you know, the fitness performance side to make sure, well, this is something they accept as well. There's, so there are more stakeholders at play. Sometimes youth sports is easier in yeah, some ways, right. you know, that <laughs> is sort of bureaucratic, if you will. Um, with full respect to strength and conditioning and performance, I don't say that. <laughs> yeah. <of> <laughs> and, and now imagine the baseball season too, because, and, yeah. you know, the, our, our big thing is that we play every day. Yeah. Right. We actually compete every day. Yeah. So, you, you know, do you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get, you have 20 games in a row, like 20 days yeah. in a row with some day games and travel like mixed in on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it makes it even harder in, in, yeah. in our game. So um, I, I definitely see, I definitely see a bit of the hurdles, right. And yeah. not a lot of teams want to travel with the Nord board. So yeah, of course you can, you can do Nordics in other ways. Right. But it's, right. it's, it's just, a, it's a different vibe. Um, Absolutely. Well, I am super excited that you <laughs> talked about the EMG because you I, oh. you probably remember, but that's the part of our conversation we had over the summer or last wow. year that I was super excited about because that's mm-hmm. interesting. And, and I like how you brought up the glutes. I like you brought up the calves. So you were saying essentially mm-hmm. that deficits in the in in the glutes, deficits in the calves, mm-hmm. might be part of what's going on with the hamstring. That's why we focused so much, uh, just just like myopically on. The hamstring, maybe mm-hmm. we're we're missing those other things that are that are changing the force, but then yeah. also the MG. I I think we got to elaborate on that, Holly. I mean, that's yeah. I, to me to me that's some good stuff. Tell me a little yeah. bit about. Let's start with the the glute and the calf. What what specifically okay. did you find that made yeah. you start to say like, oh gosh, we missed that? We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeReinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeReinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. 
Well, you know, it's interesting that because I started thinking about it like um, when I was at University of Delaware and I was thinking about it more on the biomechanics side because we think we quantify um, moments in like a total support moment, right? So when we're looking specifically, see at like mid-algus, well, it's like, well, what's, what's the ankle doing? What's the hip doing? And what are the percentages of what they're doing, right? And I'm like, well, why aren't we doing this for muscle? Right. That just kind of seems like kind of yeah. basic. It's like, okay, so so I had one national team member and I had just, I had uh, approval to discuss his case um, specifically. It's Jody Altador. And Josie um, is phenomenal, still playing. I think he's in his 18th season in New hmm. England at the Revs. Yeah. And um, he, um, you know, some of you may know if you watch the Brazil World Cup within, you know, the first eight minutes against Ghana making this, he's incredibly explosive, incredibly fast. He's making this, incredible run down the left flank and kind of goes into you know to make a right um he's being defended of course closely by a Ghanaian player and uh, <laughs> um and just pulls up and just grabs his left hamstring i'm like oh no uh, here we go yep, right yep. so i hadn't seen josie prior to that but then after brazil i did a teeny bit of work with him and then i i I think he was in Toronto at the time. And then, um, and then he had a second and a third and then a fourth. And then I started doing a little bit more work with him. And what was fascinating with him when we tested him pretty extensively, I'm like, his hamstring, his strength, his EMG, like are all optimal. That's and crazy. what was so fascinating is that his glutes were grossly underactive. And he's, um, has a pretty extensive lordotic stance. He's got the anterior pelvic tilt. So even in standing, his hamstrings were just doing so much work that, and some of it because of the sort of postural positioning. So my thought was like, my God, when we asked this guy to do anything with any, you know, bit of dynamic effort for certainly at the level of what she needs to do at a World Cup, you know, performance is that one, he's either already slightly fatigued from a right. hamstring perspective, because they're working so hard just in standing. And secondly, yeah. his glutes are so underperforming <laughs> that yeah. um, from a posterior chain, if we're looking at this ratio of like hip flexion, quad, anterior tib to glutes, hamstrings, gastroc, and or soleus, um, we are at a massive imbalance here, like mm, massive. Yeah. And with those forces and those speeds, it's highly unlikely that anyone can at that level without having multiple strains so we have right. to walk all this back it. yeah right so i love so I love that yeah i i mean it, it, it's 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 a good way to think of it that not i think sometimes we we miss the boat because we're just we're, we we have this tunnel vision and mm -hmm. you think i'm just gonna i'm just gonna work on this over and over again but everybody's postural adaptations are different everybody's you know the way they use their bodies different you have to think outside the box and Maybe, maybe, you know, again, with these recurrent issues, right? I mean, this is probably one of the most recurrent injuries out there, right? And, and maybe, maybe we are missing the boat. Um, d d tell me a little bit more about the EMG now, because that's the part that I was right. super excited about. So, so super strong, but the EMG is off. What, right. Tell me about that. I, and Josie knows this. I fully credit him with my like complete like metamorphosis of how I think of this country. Like I, and that, that is why I love to treat like, cause I, cause if I'm in an academic office, I'm not yeah, you'd miss my that. hypotheses, you know, I'll miss you'd, you'd so, miss that for sure. You're going to have to drag me out of my clinic at 85 or something. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, until I get too irrelevant, but, um, uh, <laughs> but so after him, I'm like, Wow, we are, I always, I joke, I'm like, 
half of orthopedics is neurology, isn't it? You know, we, I, yeah. I think in the other interesting thing, like what I started to do is simultaneously is testing. Okay. So we have this like magic threshold of, um, okay, what's normative, like quad to hamstring ratio, uh, quad to glute, um, what, tra- well, but is that normal or is that just what we ex- accept? Because in normals, we're still having high occurrence. So should right. we accept that as normal? So there's that right. question. And right. then the second issue is um, what happens with, okay, once they clear or we, we, we have this sort of theoretical acceptance of return to training, uh, return to contact, return to full competition, return to play, um, is there recidivism? Cheap mm. testing, right? right? So what we notice is that, and this I'm seeing this a lot on the ACL side and definitely on the hamstring side is like, okay, we'll we'll kind of get this cortical output that we're expecting either on the strength and or EMG side. And then um, and then there, there's this slide back, right? There's this recidivism back to a baseline that these players have gotten super comfortable with and have mastered, right? They're all elites. Right. And there's this fascinating thing. Keep yourself honest by, you know, pull them back in if you have the opportunity every four to six weeks and do a retest. Now, the cool thing is technology's gotten really inexpensive. Like, no, I don't have any alliance to any EMG company. I just happen to use an M-Trigger. They're like $400, which is yeah. amazing for like your average clinical practice can p- probably swing that in addition to a really good dynamometer. Oh, yeah, so, sure. you know, so we should, we, it is incumbent upon us to like make sure we're testing both. Um, because I have been, um, pleasantly surprised and sometimes unpleasantly surprised looking at like strength and EMG da- data that, oh, they're, they're sort of corresponding and they're, they're correlated. And sometimes they're not. Wow. And so we, yeah. So I think, um, I'm not making any false hypotheses here or making any false conclusions predicated on what I think is happening based on a performance or right. their ability to load. So I, I do think there's an incredible um, uh, there's some incredible assets involved in continuing to test from the strength side, obviously from the performance and biomechanics movement side, but then also from the neurological side, yeah. um, the EMG side. Um, yeah. And the cool thing is like, these are all very portable units and you can do them during dynamic movements. And mm. then the treatment, the, the assessment becomes the treatment because it serves as a biofeedback. Right, right. And that's where I think we get real motor planning uh, shit. So walk me through that because I think yeah. a lot of people yeah. get testing, right? And I think yeah. I even think, you know, they they understand even the positions to test a hamstring right. in, in in various right. positions. But walk me through right. how 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 do you use EMG to test? What what do you do for right. movements? How do you use it? Oh, sure thing. Yeah. And you can be you're only limited by your own creativity, quite frankly. So I kind of make it sport specific. So yeah. we'll do the, like the basic standard tests because oftentimes I'll check a strength and an EMG at the same time. So um, M trigger again, I have no financial relationship with, but they have a really crafty test built into their, their app. And it's a five second repeated MVC basically. And you're, and I do that in, uh, I have just the, like set up onto one of my highlighted tables and they, you can do it either in prone or in seated at 45. And, or I might test the player, like if it was an insertional tendinopathy versus a mid belly or like depending, I might test them at different angles. So I'll customize that. Um, and there you could, it's, it's very easy because you can just do that setup using gate belts or, you know, it doesn't need to be expensive. Um, 
And then um, what I will also do is strength test in those same positions. So if we come up with anything or we see a deficit or imbalance between sides, um, uh, then we can train in those specific areas. We can get highly specific, but I would say don't get too highly specific because you want to make sure, <laughs> you know, you're, like I say, in one hand, you want to do things. Like I think a really good example is like this whole toss up of like, what's the most effective eccentric? And if you look at some of the EMG data on looking at a Nordic versus a Russian versus um, any other type of them, what's interesting when you have that sort of concentric eccentric component of a of a of a Russian, um, uh, you get a little bit more semi involvement, right? You'll see some semi semi T involvement in gracilis, um, and then where unlike the Nordic, they're getting a little bit more bicep femoris. Um, do them both, you know, wh- why not? Right. And I, right. you know, and I love the utility of working varying ranges, the concentric, eccentric, eccentric alone. Um, so then, and then, so from the AMG perspective, it's like, okay, so then let's do some more sports specific stuff. Let's look at them on a treadmill. Let's put them at speed. And, and I just watch the feed live and then we can capture certain segments at certain speeds and then do a right and left comparison, whether we're looking at biceps femoris, uh, you want to compare the biceps to the semis. Um, you could do that contralaterally. Um, again, it's, it's, um, I think you clinically think through it and you think of, okay, where is this, um, uh, player or this athlete's major deficit? And then you kind of work from there. But again, kind of, I think the common thread to this whole discussion is like, think macro, not micro. Like, right. don't overly get specific because that can come back to haunt you. Yeah, it for really, sure. It really can. You know, so kind of cre- create, you want to have them ready for everything. That's the way I think about in terms of preparation for a player to going back to. And like I talked about it earlier, but I have a very um, like methodical return to train uh, and then return to training with some like friendly contact. And that's usually a coach or another athlete who had been injured recently <laughs> and then return to full contact in a training and then return to full play in competition with some minute um allotments obviously and some requirements yeah. there so, that's great I, yeah I, so so i think we i think you talked a lot there about mm-hmm. why recurrent hamstrings happen and i think we can yeah. extrapolate a lot of that to say okay we need to improve our rehab programs but you yes. know based on some of these macro things that we just talked about um what what about preventing though i i mean let's yeah. let's go back to preventing just for a hot second here and say yeah yeah. What what are we? What do you think we're missing? Preventing is it? Is it still using that same thing? Do we need to train all of our players this way, right, to assure that we're having all this stuff happen? Or is it, what do you think is our lowest hanging fruit for preventing these injuries in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think if we got super, so if we're talking like a thousand feet up, I'd say, okay, let's just talk the basics of having people adhere or comply. <laughs> like let's just do something i guess so right and be, and be relatively consistent it's a, okay it's a so good i point. think i think we would get at least maybe 10 to 20 percent there and that's mm. easy right that's easy but i will say you know having these conversations with coaches like this happened in the nfl study because we had and we are including a variable of eccentric hamstring into this program that we're designing and one of the strength and conditioning coaches who is absolutely amazing is like Holly, I am going to have a really hard time getting that in. Yeah. Um, where do we insert it such that they're not going to be sore? It won't impact any like midweek, like a Thursday night game, a Sunday. And um, 
is is it best placed into preseason? But then the coaches will be disappointed because then they can't get onto their tour days because there's some sort of misclusion. And I said, I know it is an absolute conundrum. Right. And my answer is that hopefully you and I can inspire some young clinicians out there to almost combat the notion of getting to that level and not having a puppy-centric hamstring strength because it's been introduced at the youth. You know, these are exactly. these are principles that we need to be. Um, these kids need to be engaged and knowing that this is actually part of proper training and should be hopefully introduced like, uh, you know, the youth in high school levels. So right. I, there, there, there's that. That's awesome. And, and yeah. I, I, you're right. Maybe that is the future, right? Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we've seen so many people try their hardest yeah. and players that aren't complying in the off season with these programs. And then, you know, we expect them to be there. We have to on-ramp up a little bit at the beginning in our yeah. preseason and, you know, on-ramp their sprinting, on-ramp their strength. And, you know, it just never goes well once you're behind the gun with mm-hmm. these things because yeah. we we have so many competing stresses. Um, right. uh, we, we, what about sprints? You know, we talked yeah. a lot about strength. What about mm-hmm. what about um, just dosage of like max velocity and in, 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 in full sprints? Um, how much do you put that into your programs for prevention? Yeah, yeah, massively important, particularly your sport. One one little thing, if I wanted to mention, but one paper we looked at, because we did a study with the Cape Cod League and the Northwoods League, and just the establishing prevalence of hamstring, 26% of those kids already had a hamstring. And like, nice. this is ostensibly the theater, right? <laughs> yeah, For the right. minors. And like, I'm like, oh boy. And see, that's where yeah. I think are really the heavy lifting has to be done. No pun intended. Right. Yeah, because yeah, the we youth. need to get them early, right? We can't have right. these young kids coming in. Um, They're all ostensibly playing high level D1, you know, really competitive baseball programs. And it's like, my God, if they're a quarter of them are already afflicted. And we're looking at age and reoccurrence as the primary um, risk factors. We're in a little bit of trouble. But right. yeah, to your point on the sprint side, so like that would be a little bit specific in terms of like for, for, for soccer would be like, okay, what is the demands of their particular position? Right. Is that, is that their strength? Um, like if it's a goalkeeper, obviously not a, a, you know, a big component of it, but absolutely we build it in. Cause I love all, like if any of you are reading any of like the arc, like looking at, um, hamstring architecture and the fascicle morphology, I think we can all agree that obviously having um, real, uh, the, the granularity to which we're understanding how morphology is really important in hamstring injury is 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 fascinating to me and how we train that, right? So that's where the eccentrics can come in really um, helpful looking at formation angles and looking at these dynamic assessments with ultrasounds and how that is important from a performance side. So we have to perform at length in order to not get injured at night. Right. Right. And, and yeah. I, I think if, when you, when you start to think of it from this fashion, you can see that yeah. we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think we're at the point now where you, people like yourself have done so much research to find a lot of these things. If we don't do the two components, get the youth to do them before it's a problem mm-hmm. and then to get people more compliant in it, we really are going to have a hard time assessing if all this hard work you've put into it, it worked, right? It's, it's, it's unfair. If nobody's, you know, if compliance is 16%, then, okay. you know, what, you know, it's, it's hard to say if we're doing, um, you know, the right job. So, um, you know, we appreciate people like yourself and all that you do. Um, this might've been the most educational, uh, podcast episode I think I've had so far. Um, which, which, which just your, your brilliance raining down on us, Holly. 
I feel like we solved some problems today. I think we did. I think we did. So, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so spread spread this this message from Holly to uh, to all your local youth uh, coaches, strength and conditioning uh, facilities, and you know, not to say that like strength and conditioning facilities are guilty of this too. Not to go off on a yeah. tangent here at the end, but like, uh-huh. man, we we got like super super into power training, right? Like yep. it's we you know the last decade or so, and glute glute glute, and not hamstring hamstring yeah. hamstring a lot yeah. so you, you you said the flip where you know we're focusing right. too much on the hamstring and not on the others right. I, I think if you look at a lot of the youth they're squatting and deadlifting a ton and they're not doing a lot of isolated hamstring absolutely i could not agree more and i see that a lot particularly like in my kind of high level like 14 to 18 year old group and i could not agree more and this is where i plead like with the coaches it's like let us help you like just take right. a little dose of this. We're only asking for a lot of this dynamic stuff. We're like, we're asking for about a 28 minute commitment a week. And if right. you kind of stratify that through the calendar, and if that's going to keep some of your best players available to you in the postseason, right. it is right. such a win-win, you know? Right. So um, yeah. And uh, and on the strength and conditioning side, it's like, yeah, sometimes we, we try to get a little too clever and sometimes right. we don't need to be that, that crafty or that, that creative or that unique. We can kind of stick with some of the basics because they work. And right. like dedicated hamstring work absolutely has to be a, a, a primary component of everything because a lot of the sports will, um, you know, just by virtue of competition and playing and participating and your quads are going to stay pretty darn strong. And it's, right. it's the posterior chain that we really right. have to make sure we're, we're involving as well. Right. And who knows what we can influence with the youth as they're growing and they're adopting right. their, their, their you know, their, their, their growth spurts and all these things, uh, with the muscle architecture. I, I, I think you're completely right. I think, I think that is probably going to be our next area that we have, have to emph- emphasize the most. So, yeah. um, yeah. Uh, amazing stuff, Holly. This yeah. was awesome. Uh, before I let you go, I got to end yes. with our high five, five quick questions yes. that I'm, sure. I'm eager to hear your answers. I think you're going to have great okay. answers. Five okay. quick questions, five quick answers to learn a little bit about you and your brain, how you think, but First question, what are you currently working on for your own professional development? Not teaching us, but what are you learning right. yourself? You know, I have to say, I love reading. Like I, I, my, my Twitter feed is like I, I use Twitter to follow things that I wouldn't normally feed, like read things out of the box. Like I follow <laughs> I like that. Um, oncology. I follow, I read anything. I'm, I'm a bit of a geek, obviously. I think you probably took that up in the last 45 minutes, but um, I'll, I read anything and everything. Reading about long COVID, reading about, um, uh, you know, novel treatments. Because I think anything you learn to extrapolate, um, one may help you help the patient like inadvertently, but also I think it allows your brain to think create tentacles for yourself, particularly as I get mm. a little bit longer into my career. Um, I love switching things up and making things, um, you know, sometimes difficult on myself because I think that makes me better at what I do overall. Yeah. 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 I love it. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. one thing that you've recently changed your mind about? Um, what, and this isn't super recent, but uh, one of the things, uh, uh, well, we talked a little bit about like looking at glue and, and not totally isolating hamstring yeah, or vice versa, right? Yeah, that. Yeah. And then secondly, um, uh, 
uh, one of the, oh, hip flexor is a fascinating one to me early on in my career. <laughs> I love the excitement. I love this. I love hip flexors too. <laughs> so, you know, probably early on, we, you probably started similar time as me where we kind of thought, oh, we can stretch some of these issues away. And now I have like completely abandoned that thought. And now I'm like, we are going to strengthen these issues away. So that has been a real flip. And I love explaining that to patients because that's been a bit of dogma. Like I have tight hip flexors. And I was like, yeah, the reason you do that because you sit in a corporate job for like, you know, nine hours a day and we're going to kind of work your way out of it. And this is what we're going to do. Yeah, that's a great one. I think that's great. And you've seen success with that. Yes. Yes. Well, the stretching matters. I'm not, maybe I overstated that a bit, but I think like (laughs) oftentimes they're weak. Use your dynamometers and figure it out. Like, are they weak? You know, that's a good, that's yeah. Very well said. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What's your favorite piece of advice that you give students? Oh, you know, just stay hungry. I mean, you know, I've been in this for 23 years and it's if I've been doing it for one. I am I just, <laughs> like, I love what I do. And if you're not happy in your current job situation, then find a way. Maybe it's just that particular situation, like volunteer. I, I can't tell you how many philanthropic hours I have done throughout my career. And it has led me to some of the most rewarding career and life experiences that I have like genuinely had the honor to have. Um, so I would say, um, don't, don't expect things to come your way. You have to work hard to find relationships and network in conversations, but also volunteer because some of the most fruitful things you might experience, not only professionally, but personally, uh, maybe of a genuine surprise to you. I love it. That was gold. I like that. That was a good one. Uh, what's coming up next for you? I'm sure you get a bunch. What's coming up? Oh yeah. Well, loving the NFL stuff, continuing some work with MLB, which I also love. This is a funny question or funny quick story if you have a second. Um, of course. When I first started getting involved in MLB, we were on a call with multiple teams and we were in the height. This is many years ago when there was like this big rise in uh, um, the hamstring incident. And um, one, I won't name any names, but there was a team member or affiliate member from uh, one of the clinical staffs in an MLB team. And he's like, in all due respect, like you're a soccer person, like, what do you know about baseball? And I'm like, I'll have you know, I was a mean third base little league player. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So I would say one of my things, I say, obviously being a woman and not being able to play, you know, high level baseball, I played softball, but, um, or uh, uh, football. But I, I would say um, be open-minded in terms of people's experiences. Like um, some of the best coaches in the world weren't the greatest players. And I think that goes for like our profession as well. You don't necessarily have to play the sports, but but be well-versed in it. But I immerse right. myself and try, I know every position and I know, you know, watching my nephews play throughout the year. Like I, I, I definitely am a student of the game. I'm a student of life, but I am a student of the game. I'm, and I turn, I, yeah. I'm picking I up on that. I think it's very important. Yeah. I'm pi- I'm picking up on that. I feel I feel like you're one of those people that got very little work done during the World <laughs> Cup, right? Are you are you in, are you in that boat? <laughs> it's fascinating. That was a fascinating World Cup for a variety of reasons. That might be our next podcast, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, how, how can people learn more about you? I know I know you just mentioned Twitter. Um, do you yeah. have, do you have, but like, what's the best places for people to learn more about you and your research and yeah. all the stuff you're doing? I'm, I'm more active on Twitter than Instagram. Maybe that's sort of uncool of me, but, um, that's the facts. <laughs> and yeah. then, um, I have a website. Um, it's just my small clinical practice, but I post things about like our, our newest, uh, sort of research, anything that's getting published. And then, um, and I, and I retweet things that I think are really important to our profession, um, whether it's on like the APTA or sports section political side or, you know, ways to stay involved. 
um, opportunities that I think may be of interest to my former self, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but I just think if I can just give a little bit of advice to young clinicians, it's just read, 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 and read from a variety of sources in terms of, um, and I think Twitter and, and social media has made that so much easier yeah. now and palatable yeah. because it's just like, it's, it, you can design your own news source, your news feed, right. which is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. And it's a great opportunity yeah. to get to interact with people like yourself, right? right? I mean, like, think about that. That's crazy. I get, I'm sure you, you respond to people. I mean, that's, that's amazing yeah. that you can do that nowadays. So, um, yeah. you know, re- really appreciate everything yeah. you do for the profession um, and taking some time out to come here and um, probably give the most information per second on, on the podcast history. If we look, if we look at a ratio of brilliance per second, but thank you so much, Holly. We love it. Um, I, I feel like- My that, pleasure. That we we got to do an ACL one in the future, but but thanks so much, and uh, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you again. Totally, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Really a blast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to me. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at mikerano.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And also be sure to search for my other podcast, The Ask Mike Reinold Show, where my team of physical therapists, strength coaches, and I answer your questions. See you on the next episode.